He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that's engaging and transforming, and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this Eliminate journey. Uh, there's several ways you can join us. Uh, this is a pre-recorded show so um we're not taking any calls but you can follow us on all our social media do that by going to facebook uh the zero network on facebook uh pastor zero network on facebook on twitter the show handle is at zero radio at z-e-r-a radio and you can hit us up by email uh pastor lorenzo neal at gmail.com Oh, and my handle my handle on Twitter is at Lorenzo T. Neal. So uh, follow us on all the social media. We'd love to hear your comments to shows. You can go back and listen to all the archive shows there on the network page all the way back. Uh, this is going into our 10th season. And uh, we'll be looking forward to having a wonderful celebration later on this year, celebrating 10 years that we've been doing this show. Anyway. We're excited about being on. We thank you for tuning us, tuning in to us. Uh, we uh, it's kind of crazy weather here, so if I sound congested, I am. This weather has been going from cold to warm, back to cold. Yesterday here in in Jackson, it didn't get over 50 degrees, and today it's 70. And uh, my sinuses are uh, they're all over the place. So if if the show doesn't go the whole length, you understand why. Um, so, y'all just pray for it, brother. We're we're good. So, I'm, I'm going to get as much as I can while I can talk and breathe. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we're going to talk today about the threat to male, black male identity. And what I mean by that is the fact that there's a, there's always been an attack on the black men. And it's both in the physical sense and in the cosmological sense or ontological sense and the being perspective. And so we're going to delve into that. Uh, media portrayals, uh, 
community me. Com- uh, community me. How am I sounding? Community me. Good Lord. Community portrayals and engagement, education and uh, prison and all of that stuff, criminal justice, all of that factors into what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to try to drop some knowledge on you. I'm going to drop some knowledge. <laughs> no, just kidding. But um, we're, we're going to talk a little bit, a whole lot about that. Um, but uh, before we do that, uh, it's Valentine's week on Friday, if you're listening on today. Um, it's Wednesday. What today is? The 11th? 12th? Yeah, got to be 12, right? Yeah. So it's, it's the 12th. So I hope that your brothers or you sisters who are, are going to be observing the holy day of love, <laughs> that you uh, uh, be thoughtful in what you do, in your gift giving, you know, whatever you're going to do. If you're going to cook dinner, be thoughtful in it. If you're going to buy a present, don't go to Walmart. No, I'm just kidding. Don't go to Walgreens. Don't get something from the pharmacy. I was dating a lady one time, and she explicitly told me, don't get me those chocolate boxes, the box of chocolates from Walmart or uh, Walgreens, you know, from, from those stores. Don't get me that. If you're going to if you're gonna give me some chocolates, get the fancy stuff. Go, go to a real candy store, a confection store. <laughs> don't be ordering me no box of chocolates. And then I got fancy. I, I found a site where I could order those chocolate-covered strawberries. And I thought I was doing real good. I was ordering uh, chocolate-covered strawberries. Then later on, I found I was dating someone who already knew how to make something better than the ones I was ordering. <laughs> so whatever you do, just be thoughtful. Uh, just be thoughtful and uh, realize, you know, the ultimate love, if you're a Christian, the ultimate love is found in Jesus Christ. And the relationship with him. If you're not a Christian, the ultimate love is found in giving service to others. And and that the principle, even though it's found in the Bible, is applicable to everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is the golden rule as understood. So um yeah. Go out and love somebody. Matter of fact, do a rewarding day. Do a rewarding act uh every day. Somebody deserves love who doesn't need to get it, usually get it. And believe you me, it'd be more rewarding than spending money on a dinner date or spending money on a gift. And you may be expecting something in return and not get it. Hint, hint. <laughs> all right, let me, let me move on. So last we were on, the president was in his trial. The Senate trial for his for his uh, impeachment, and you already know the story. He was not removed from office. The Senate voted to acquit, and all those who were his loyal supporters celebrated. And of course, President Trump, being the petty person that he is. Celebrated and and you know showed off, but kind of in a distasteful way. But then again, what has he really done that's been tasteful? Um, you know, well, let me put it this way: he has done tasteful things, but um, uh, he he has a way of just 
being petty. And um, perhaps the pettiest way to celebrate a victory is go to a prayer breakfast. <laughs> so last week, after the acquitted, Senate acquitted him of um, the two articles of impeachment brought by the House, uh, President Trump came and um, Speaker of the House Pelosi both attended the National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi made her speech and and stated in her own word in her speech that we ought to love our enemies. And this is again just two nights after, two days after she ripped a part of uh, uh, President Trump's State of the Union speech in an act of defiance and showing that there were many mistruths in that speech. And what do you do when you somebody does that to you? Well, you go to the prayer breakfast and you say, well, the Lord tells us to love our enemies. And by me tearing up the speech, it was a sign of me showing I love you, but I can't stand you. <laughs> um, and the president Used that event um, as a political. It, it really was. It was a political move. He used it as a political move. And I want to thank Ann Brock and her page, the Old Black Church, that uh, she brought it to the she, uh, brought it to the attention. But she used a uh, Reverend um, William Barber the second. I've had the opportunity sharing opportunities, uh, justice opportunities with him, uh, Dr. Barber. Uh, made a post that said, uh, what made Trump feel comfortable that he could go to a prayer breakfast that was supposed to be uh, bowing your head humbly before God, and he's swarming his own sense of victory, and he got applause, which means that their mind wasn't on God or the things of God. So that's a quote by Dr. William Barber II, uh, who is the leader of the Poor People's Campaign. And another another person writes, Ted Bowers, when Trump mentioned God, I often wonder what God he's talking about. Sister. He says he doesn't need to ask God for forgiveness because he, when he does wrong, he corrects himself. And he talks about the lying that he does. But, but I said all that to say that Trump used this both Pelosi – Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump used this opportunity that's supposed to be a reverential opportunity. I've had the opportunity to be at one of these uh, prayer breakfasts. And, you know, it's, it, matter of factly, it was at the prayer breakfast that Ben Carson gained national attention, a greater national attention politically. Uh, it was after what he said at a prayer breakfast directed towards President Obama. That gained him uh, national attention with conservatives, and you all know what happened after that. Somebody convinced him he should run for president, <laughs> and somebody felt bad enough to have him as an a cabinet member over, of all things, housing and urban development. Yeah, but uh, the, the national prayer breakfast is supposed to be a moment of where those person, you know, religious leaders gather, religious leaders of all faiths gather and share in prayers, affirmations towards 
our elected officials and our leadership, the leadership of our country. And it's done, you know, there's a national prayer, and most states have their state prayer. And most, or most, a lot of religious entities have some form of prayer gatherings that they uh, lift up their leaders. And those of us who are Christians, we know that we are admonished in Scripture, in several passages of Scripture, to pray for our leaders, to lift them up before God, and and we should do so. But this event is never should be political. But there is always a political edge to it. You know, it's always political overtones. You can't escape that, especially when you're in Washington, D.C. Everything is political. You go buy a Subway sandwich <laughs> out of the Capitol building, it becomes political. Everything is political. But we've got to do a better job at, at uh, divesting this sense of ownership. When it comes to uh, victory, especially in in this moment, no one should be trying to own victory because it only, uh, in my opinion, further creates a further division and creates a further gap and it creates a further distrust of individuals when it comes to the government. Um, People will feel that political ideologies should not be integrated into uh, the religious practice, and there's some truth to that. But we know just from the fact that our founding fathers thought enough of religious liberty and religious freedom to allow that expression to be integrated is as part of our social as well as political uh, formation. That's why we see it in and that, but again, it wasn't very recently that this this stronger sense of connected political idea, ideology, and praxis with religious praxis came into play. You know, we can go back to the late fifties uh, as a sign of U.S. defiance to communism, the idea that communists were atheists. And how do you combat atheism? You believe in God. So that's that's that in a nutshell. But I think we have better we have to do a better job of divesting and differentiating when we're in spaces like this to uh like like that, prayer breakfasts. To uh, even if we're going to pray, and for example, now in our book of discipline, in our hymn book, we have uh, a prayer for national unity. We have a prayer for the country and all of that, uh, and and we do so, and we I've integrated those prayers into sermon texts, as well as in personal prayers for leadership. Uh, but this climate that we're in politically right now is stupefying. And it's it's hard to really uh, when you have the type of leadership that you have in the form of President Trump, who at his convenience expresses religious tenets, uh, you know, and, or practices at his convenience. And other than that, he's petty, <laughs> and he does not practice it. And um, as I believe as Christian leadership, we should call him out for it. We ha- we should demand that he behave better 
at least act like you go, you're a good Christian. Uh, as well as not just with him, but also with, you know, Speaker Pelosi. You know, we understand that you are um, uh, upset, and I'll, I'll use that word, at the outcome of the impeachment fiasco. But the reality is, true leaders understand that what did Michelle say? When they go low, we go high. So it is what it is. But um, I, I think we can do better. Than, and somebody's going to contradict me on that, but I'll leave that alone. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick break and go ahead and jump into the subjects of the day. The topic of the day, the threat to black male identity, and um, talk about Gail King in interview with Lisa Leslie, uh, Dwayne Wade, and his interview with Ellen on her show, and the other, some other underlying um, issues regarding black male identity and what can we do to counteract some of this negative uh, negativity that is uh, coming with black male identity? All right, so take a quick break, and when we be, when we come back, that's what we'll do. You're listening to Zira Today with Dr. Lorenzo Neal. So if you're not aware, I am a very very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare and it's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy. And I would strongly recommend you, if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. Uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine, photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of, you can find it on Skillshare. So, and I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to really love it. It's, it's worth every single moment, every single class, and you'll, you'll love it. You're great. Greatly enjoy it. Go check it out. Skillshare.com slash Zero Today Radio. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. We covered it, February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. 
That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you, I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield. Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs. And I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. Have you had issues with your credit and you've been wanting to know what you can do to make it better, make it higher, get better stuff, get more stuff? Well, we have an answer for you. Evidence Credit Evolution. That is the answer that we have for you. Evidence Credit Evolution offers you real credit repair that's quick and secure. There's no subscription affiliated with it. You only pay when negative items are removed from your report after joining. There's a one-time fee for lifetime enrollment and $25 for every item deleted. Learn more by visiting myfes.net slash emcovery. That's myfes.net slash emcovery. Or give her a call at 662-372-2125. That's Evelyn's Credit Evolution. You'll be glad that you did. All right, welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. And uh, again, want to say in advance, if this show is short, I'm I have sinus issues, so I'm congested. I'm trying to make it through. I'm pushing through as best I can. <laughs> I'm gonna do as much as I can. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm gonna do as much as I can. But uh, it's not gonna be a full hour show, just so you know. And this is pre-recorded. So if you like to share uh, comments, uh, go to the Zero Network on on Facebook, and you can leave your comments about this particular show in uh, the comments section there, or you can shoot me an email at Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail.com, and uh, we can conversate from there. But anyway, let's get into the topic of the day. The topic of the day is the threat to black male identity. I am a black male, so I could talk about this. I am a black male. I am a black man. I raised my fist. You can't see it, but I had my fist raised when I said that. But anyway, so there have been several things that have happened. And the death of Kobe Bryant uh, last a uh, few weeks ago brought up a lot of things uh that particularly black men uh have have been disparaged about um the accusation of course in 2000 in the early 2000s when Kobe Bryant was accused of raping a, a young woman of course that was later uh he was acquitted and you know that was found to be untrue he apologized to the person but upon his demise there were several journalists uh, who came out and resurrected those accusations and those false, proven false accusations. And the legacy of Kobe Bryant and his uh, and his daughter, 
uh, well, not his daughter, but his legacy was now is forever tarnished by this accusation, even though it's proof. Because in death, he is this. In life, he was that. Uh, but it, for some reason, when it comes, particularly how black men are perspect are perceived, that that's the case. Um, for a large majority of people, there's an implicit bias when it, when it comes to black men. And I did a, a training on this recently, on it, particularly implicit bias. And how people perceive black men is, is one thing, including black people. How we perceive black men is it, it's, it's all, uh, how can I put it? It's just, it's over the place. You know, we still have this perception uh, of black men as being not just, not violent per se, but prone to violence, prone to uh, the gangster life. Uh, the that they're not really capable academically to be scholarly and prolific, and, and those who do are the exception. And we don't celebrate. Black men as much as we used to, um, as we have equity uh, created the equity within the black arena, and and it's, it's, that's all due. You know, we, we brought in the women, and that's good. And we've added a womanist uh, apologetic to our black history, and that's that's great. Y'all got to give my dog what's my attention too. Man, this is oh Lord, and and so we've integrated all of that, and that is wonderful. However, the perception of black men and black women—I might as well say that too—is still um, skewed. It's still skewed, and still present presents this uh, un of uh, the subconscious, unrealized fear. And when it comes to the media, it's even worse because the media is the number one agency of promotion of promoting this this uh, perception. Uh, so that brings in up the topic of Gail King and Lisa Leslie, and I um I wanted to do a talk on this on YouTube last week and. I just couldn't get my thoughts together enough to really uh, articulate it where I would, where I, how I would have liked. And I saw so many other people commenting on um, the pushback from Gail, from Snoop Dogg, from 50 Cent, and other high-profile black men. And the pushback to those black men, particularly Snoop, by um, uh, Susan Rice, who, if you know Susan Rice, was uh, was national security advisor, I believe. Yeah, I think with President Obama. Anyway, all of this proceed, all of this stemmed from um, the interview between the Gail King and Lisa Leslie, where Gail King seemed to be pushing Leslie to to say some negative about. The late Kobe Bryant, and she refused to do so. Uh, and it brought up the idea that okay, this is an agenda. We must 
demon, demonize this man, even though he's dead, we must demonize him. He has to be seen in this perspective by every person. He cannot be seen as a hero. He cannot be seen as an, a black entrepreneur. He cannot be seen as a black father. He cannot be seen as this. He has to be seen as a rapist, and that is how he has to be seen. Any other public image or public perception of him is not acceptable. And I don't know where my dog was. I'm just going to ignore him. Um, any other any other thing like that is unacceptable. It is like it's, it came across as if Gail King received her marching orders, and she pressed and she pressed, and when uh, did not get the response that she she wanted, um, you know, she 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 closed it. She ended it. it is. Now I did not watch the entire. I just watched clips. From other persons, you know, on YouTube and other radio, uh, other figures. So I did not watch the original. Um, and then Gail King came and did her own personal rebuttal of that interview, stating that that was just a clip that was greatly misrepresentative, misrepresentative of the entire interview. And I, I can believe that, you know, I, I can believe that you. You want to edit for effect, you don't want to, and ratings, not for truth and accuracy. That's not what media does. Not mainstream media. They want uh, if they got truth and accuracy, then they wouldn't be in business too long. It's about <laughs> ratings. How can we get the perception skewed enough that people will, will click? You know, it's about clicks. It's about likes. It's about generating. Generating uh, more attention to a story, to a headline, um, and so that that is what it was. And she came back and she pushed back on that herself, but it was a little bit too late. You had Snoop Dogg, Fifty Cent, and uh, other black uh, entertainers pushing back and saying that she did the Kobe wrong. And black men are always being attacked like this after their death. Matter of fact, I believe Bill Cosby even tweeted from prison. I don't know that to be true or not, but uh, it was it was reported that Snoop Dogg called for uh, Bill Cosby to be free. You know, free Bill. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Either way, it got to the point. Um, where there was some legitimacy to the counter arguments by Snoop and the other 50 Cent, the other it, it really does come across as a black men uh, are given this greater misrepresentation. But from the time they're there, uh, for example, if they get arrested, if you see a mugshot of a black man on the news or in the paper, they're going to make sure it's the roughest mugshot that they can get. However, if you see the mugshot of a white person, uh, generally it won't be a mugshot in the paper. It won't be a mugshot on uh, on the news. Sometimes there is, but but sometimes they they, they get the 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 nicest picture they can get of that end of the white person. I never forget there was a a group of boys, young men, college students here in Mississippi who were arrested for a crime, and 
Their mugshot, every last one of them was smiling. They looked like prep boys, you know, college prep, frat boys. And they got attention for that. And um, there were some pictures of a young black man who was smiling in his mugshot. And the reaction was, this man, this this black man is showing no remorse for a crime he committed. He's smiling. How can he be smiling in a mugshot? Look at this. This is abhorrent. This black man is smiling in a mugshot, which means that he is very evil. Whereas these white boys smiling in a mugshot simply mean that they were just a, a couple of boys who got in trouble, was misdemeanor, and they were not, you know, <laughs> they are not to be, uh, a, you know, you're not to be afraid of them. It's just a prank going wrong. It's just bad act, bad decisions of college kids. But but and that's the that's the perception. And I go back to uh, back in the day. There's a I don't know if you remember this when Wesley Snipes did the movie Jungle Fever. He was on the cover of a magazine, and they darkened the image of his face and lightened the image of the the white woman in the picture, to and made him look. Uh, uh, gave him this look of of terror to the degree. There's this dark black man holding this white woman and you should feel terrified and the movie's called Jungle Fever. <laughs> and so and, and it's things like that. And also I I I think about also Trevon Martin and um Zimmerman, the mugshots or the pictures between them. They deliberately darkened Trevon Markin's face. Uh, Trevon, uh, they darkened his face under his hoodie to make him look a little more, you know, a little more terrifying. Made his eyes look terrifying, like he was going. He was intent on causing. Uh, he probably would have been charged with some type of assault because they did get into a fight if, if Zimmerman had killed him. But the perception on, in this, in certain publications, had him looking one way and had Zimmerman looking another way. And, you know, it, it is what it is. So, black male identity has presented this, and this goes back to the days of slavery, this idea that black men are threatening. They passed marijuana laws in the 30s because of black men. They passed passed a lot of laws, uh, a lot of the prison sentencing and uh, criminal justice laws that we have now in our states and in our federal uh, uh, criminal justice system because of black men. And, And there's no secret to that. And the perception continues. Um, think about some of these black athletes. <laughs> A lot of these black athletes, once they are convicted of crime, think about Michael Vick. Michael Vick didn't even uh, what was it? He was convicted of of a crime uh, of dog fights, right? 
because the dog fights were held on the property that he owned. He was convicted and was he was treated worse than a murderer. The perception of him was worse than a murderer who could a person who killed an actual human being. And it is still the same for many people. It is still the same. And I could go down through a pantheon of black men who committed crimes, misdemeanors in a lot of cases. Uh, but the perception is that these are evil human beings because of the crimes that they committed. You know, and it, it just, it, it's, <sighs> so in, in the media, um, in, in the media, there's always a negative association that gets exaggerated when it comes to black men. I'm going to read something here that comes from, um, where's the source? Goodness gracious. Oh, I, uh, it's opportunityagenda.org, and uh, it's one of the publications on there regarding the media portrayals of blacks. But here's what, while many aspects of black men's real lived experience tend to be missing from the collective media portrayal, some aspects are very much present and are, in fact, exaggerated. Perhaps the most discussed pattern is the association between black males and criminality, particularly in television news where they are not only likely to appear as criminals but likely to be shown in ways that make them seem particularly threatening compared to the white criminals, for instance. And I just talked about that. Blacks are overrepresented as perpetrators of our crime when news coverage is compared with the rest race but are underrepresented in the more sympathetic roles of victim law enforcer. All right, and that, um, and that, as I stated before, uh, black men are, are are by way of constructed realism seen as more terroristic and more threatening than any other um, human being, and when they are victims of any crime, they are, you know, still demonized for whatever. No matter how the crime happened, they're still demonized. Um, and I, I can speak that from experience with my own, my own personal experience with the death of my nephew. And then when it comes to uh, positive reflections of black male identity, it's, it's skewed. It's very limited. And the same article states that black males are highly visible in other types of roles that can be considered positive. But it, you know they're very and they're very limited to, to sports, to um, anything that includes physical ability or physical achievement. So, and and that's because again the perception is because black men are more aggressive that they are excel at aggressive events, things that require them to be aggressive. That's why they're excelling in sports like football and basketball. But not in sports like golf. Well, we had <laughs> we had Tiger proven wrong on that for for a little while. <laughs> uh, or or swimming. And, and if you're not aware, uh, black boys drown. Uh, they're, they're statistically, they are uh, you know, black children in general uh, because they don't swim. They don't learn how to swim. And I want to mention um, 
Dr. Reverend Dr. Herman Kelly, who is the pastor of Bethel A.B. Church in Bad Rouge, Louisiana, has a, a program that teaches young ch- black children and black boys in particular to swim and and, and uh, to uh, encourage them to pursue that as a sport. And um, there was a movie with Terrence Howard that was in it and, uh, you know, talking about this black swim team. And I can't think of the name of the movie. This is random, though. But, again, excelling outside of the sports of basketball and football where aggression is really, really there and not excelling as much as we don't talk about the blacks who excel in chess. And chess is a thinking strategy game. So, anyway. Now, I want to play this clip again when I talked about black identity, and I want to bring gender constructed to this conversation um, because there are a lot of black men who are down low. They are bisexual, and they are, uh, they, some of them are married. Some of them are not married. Some of them give this image uh, of a masculinity that, well, it is what it is. But unfortunately, when it comes to gender construct, uh, for a long time, the black male was presented as a hypersexualized individual. The same with the black woman, and we didn't help this. <laughs> we didn't help this quite a bit, especially as hip hop came out, and you had Two Live Crew come out and with their music, which I loved, by the way. <laughs> but their perception of this hypersexuality was ingrained in their in a secondary. Uh, imagery of black men and this high sex drive and all of that stuff. But as we came into the 21st century, we saw a different construct of male sexuality, uh, sexuality within black male. As more black males we saw coming out as gay, as uh, transgender, and it kind of blew a gasket for us in the black community because, again, most of this you didn't deal with. You didn't talk about it. You didn't discuss it in your family. If you did have that, you hid it as best you could and let it go. But as we as we have progressed into the 21st century, our children have been exposed to this broader uh, gender identity. And it's kind of Helping us, but at the same time, is is it, it's well, it's difficult to articulate. But uh, Dwayne Wade, who played basketball with Miami Heat championship uh, holder, and married to Gabrielle Union, I was crushing on her. So, oh boy, I was crushing on her for a while. Anyway, it's beside the point. So they their child, their seven, their twelve year old child comes to them, and um, if you've been seeing in media, they were giving a lot of freedom to the son Zion. Zion is the child's name, and they were giving a lot of freedom of expression. And as a result of that freedom of expression, Zion decided that uh, they were more comfortable as a girl, identifying as a female. And uh, well, they. Dwayne Wade went on Ellen and talked about this child coming out. And let me play you this clip real quick. 
And I'm gonna, it's about four minutes, but I'm not going to pay the whole clip here. Thanks for being here. That Thank was you. a clip from the ESPN docu documentary. And um, first of all, I just I think it's what every you know every parent should be is what you're being right now, which is unconditionally loving your child and supporting you. your child in whoever they are. I mean, that's. There are so many parents that are just, oh, you're not going the way I imagined or wanted you to be and freak out, and you're so loving and supportive of Zaya, and, and what a special child she is. Yes, she is, she is. Thank you so much for that. Um, first of all, me and my wife, my wife Gabrielle um, Union, we are, we are proud, when I say proud, we are proud parents um, of a child in the LGBTQ plus uh, community, and we're proud allies as well. Um, and we, we take our, our roles and our responsibility as parents very seriously. Um, so when our, when our child comes home with a question, when our child comes home with an issue, when our child comes home with anything, it's our job as parents to listen to that, to give them the best information that we can, the best feedback that we can. Um, and that doesn't change because sexuality is now involved in it. So once Zaya, our 12-year-old, came home, um, and first Zion, everybody, I don't know if everyone knows, originally named Zion, Zion born. Um, as a boy, came home and said, hey, uh, so I want to talk to you guys. Um, you know, I think going forward, I'm ready to live my truth. And I want to be uh, referenced as she and her. Uh, I would love for you guys to call me Zaya. And so internally, now is our job to, one, go out and get information, to reach out to every relationship that we have. My wife reached out to everybody on the, the uh, cast of Pose. Um, we're just trying to figure out as much information we can to make sure that we give our child the best opportunity to be, you know, her best self. Yeah, I mean, I would think that it's one thing... It's one thing to, to have this at home, but n knowing that she's going to be out in the world because yeah. you're a public figure, and even if you weren't, she's going to school, and to want to be protective and to make sure she's safe, yeah. um, that must be a scary thing because it's one thing for you to love her and, ex and, and your wife to love her, but that must, you just want everyone to love her the same way. Exactly. And once Zion, once Zion came home and said, hey, I'll, you call me Zion, I'm ready to take on this, um, I looked at it and said, you are a leader. You are a leader, and it's our opportunity to allow you to be a voice. Right now, it's through us, because she's 12 years old, but eventually, it would be through her. Right. Well, and listen, is it or... All right, so I'm going to stop the clip right there. Now, let me, let me unpack, unpack this. First of all, I do give commendations to Dwayne and his wife, Gabrielle Union, for the support that they're giving to that child. Because... It, the child's going to need it, irregardless of how long they uh, go forth with that identity. The child is going to need it. Secondly, because they understand childhood comes, what comes with childhood is this desire to be something different, uh, whenever it is, whatever it is. When I was 12 years old, I was preaching. I was going to I I had gone to my parents and my well my grandparents and I had gone to my my pastor and said I you know I'm called to preach. That's that's where I was at 12 years at 12 years old I was identifying as a preacher. Now this is not the same thing as identifying gender. This is a totally different thing. But I'm trying to make uh, somewhat of a comparison between the minds of 12 year olds. <laughs> you know, there's 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 this that's this that's this thing. That's this is that time. 
of development where they're they're really formulating their identity and they're and they'll they'll stay with that identity for a while before a, they again mature into something else. And that identity is one of the changes the child gets older and matures and processes more is able to understand things more. They're, they'll they'll go through and they'll, you know, fix how they perceive themselves and how they want to be perceived by others. And I think as a black community, we, we have not done well with that, helping children articulate that and express that. And more and more children are founding outside menus to do so. And if you listen to what they said, uh, he, he said that he reached out to those persons who identified, those adults who identify that way, to help them, the parents, not the child. To help the parents identify or uh, shape the identity. Identity. Now, in the broader scheme of things, this way, as more identify in this way. Hello? Okay. I was hearing some. I wasn't sure if I was losing the signal or whatever. But uh, the more black children, black male children, identify less with a black male identity and identify with a broader gender fluid identity, that, that that's a threat. <laughs> because one, well, some people may not perceive it as a threat because some people like will say, well, it's it's cutting off black male toxicity. The idea that black men are toxic. Black men with their aggressive behavior need exposure to a child like this who has the courage to tell his her parents that I choose to identify this way, not in a masculine perceptive perception, but I want to identify as a female and I want you all to help me in this stage. And, you know, and there's some parents who will say, not in my house. Ain't going to happen in my house. <laughs> but both of those parents ain't got the money to Wayne Wade and Gabriel you to have. <laughs> anyway, the whole point is that as this, as this new identity uh, develops among children, the fact that they don't have to identify strictly in the in the strictest male sense provides a threat to black male black manhood. You know, for one, procreation. You know, when it comes to the idea of procreation. If we don't have black men procreating, then what we're gonna do? What we're gonna have? We have, you know, we have more black men procreating with non-black women. What are we gonna do? We have more black women procreating with non-black men. What are we gonna do? And if we have uh, more younger men identifying less restrictive when it comes to uh, gender. And um, sexual orientation and all of that, 
again, what do we do as black men? I had a friend ask me the question, how can we get black men become more caring toward their families, toward each other in a non-feminine way? I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I have a lot of big brothers, love with passion. You know, a lot of best friends I grew up with, passion. Love them to death, to life. Um, and the issues that they're facing are very similar to all all that uh, I lost my train of thought just that quick. The, the issue that these black men are facing now with their sons is is very critical to how their sons will perceive themselves and how they will engage themselves and how they will engage others as they grow and mature. Like like a lot of black men today who didn't have fathers or positive black role models in their in their lives and they turn to violence or they turn to other you know, other things that has to change. The question is how do we get back to that spot of positive black male imagery? You think about it in the 50s and 60s where you know you had the black men if they were going out on a casual stroll they're going to be dressed to the T. Then by the 70s, you still had them dressed to a T, but it was less, you know, it was more casual dress, not not the strict, you know, suit tie. And by the time we got to the 90s, you know, it was all about the shoes and the colors <laughs> and the flamboyance of your style, your haircut. Uh, but we've got to get back to this sense of black dignity. That's the heart of the matter. It's not so much gender identity. It's not so much sexual orientation. It's not so much as uh, uh, the biases that others will have. It goes back to this sense of dignity. Do we as black men have dignity left? And those of us who have it, how can we find it in ourselves, pull it out of ourselves and help Bring it out in others, in other black men. You know, there's there's a corporate distrust across the horizon, a distrust of male figures and leadership and black uh, black public figures. There's a distrust. You know, it hurt when we found out. Uh, the true character of Bill Cosby. It hurt when we <laughs> when we learned of the true uh, offenses of R. Kelly. It hurt when we see Chris Brown hitting on Rihanna and going public. It hurt every time uh, Terrell, what's his not Terrell, uh, Antonio Brown right now in the headlines. All these guys, these black athletes, these black leaders, uh, it hurt when we found out Jesse Jackson had a baby coming, and he was an old man. <laughs> it hurt, and it contributed to this greater distrust of black men, black leadership, and all of that. You know, and I can go into story and story about black men uh, putting on that, bringing on that distrust, and taking away, stripping away the dignity or the sense of dignity from from young black boys 
it hurt. We got to get to the court. And I did a YouTube video earlier, and I said, I'm I'm a part of the I'm a part of the problem, but I'm also a part of the solution. I have a greater sense of responsibility on my behalf, not just as a pastor, but as a black man who is educated, who is successful, and who is you know. I, I don't have a big hustle, but the little hustle that I do have, pushing that and trying to achieve goals and set goals, more goals to achieve. And, um, man, it, it, it's it's difficult, but we have to do it. Michael Eric Dyson wrote on this in uh, The Plight of Black Men, one of the articles he wrote, talking about the plight of black men. And, and uh, I can't recall the name of it. But I have several of his books. But in um, in in one particular article, he, he stated, the reality is the perception of black men themselves, to themselves, has been so damaged that they find it hard to say and to be. And that's it, to say and to be a black man. And we got to work hard to reinvent ourselves and not really reinvent that's probably not the best phrase but we've got to show ourselves first that we are black men who are successful we are not just baby daddies but we are fathers who are invested in our children that we are entrepreneurs who are not just on our hustle for ourselves but for the empowerment of our communities that we are uh, people of faith we are men of faith if we are Muslim, if we are Sikhs, if we are Christian, if we are atheists, we still got some faith in ourselves. We have to show that we are still innovators. We are still creators. We are, stay, we are still empowered to empower others. That, that there's not, though we don't have a national singular leader, but we have a collective body of black men even the ones who are incarcerated that have a sense of pride about being black men, even the ones who may have addictions and may be in recovery from those addictions, they have a sense of who they are as being black men. And we have to show that. We have to put that out. We have to put it on display in every facet, in every area of society. We got to put it on display because right now, many will have you believe that we're, we're extinct. We're going into extinction, and they're targeting us. You don't have to believe it, but they're targeting us. It's not about, you know, if your son chooses to identify that way. If they go through that experience, you should still love them, and you should still in that moment empower them to know, like, look, look, no matter what your orientation, no matter what your agenda, uh, I, uh, I, identity is, you're still black. You're still man. And even if you go through procedures that change your, your physical appearance, you still have to show others, those black men who may not be like you, may not identify as you, you still got to empower, help empower them to be strong black men. Look, I got to get out of here. I thank you for the time. I really do want to invite you to go ahead and listen to all the archive shows available on all your podcast outlets, Spotify, Apple Podcasts iTunes and uh, the Zero Network on Facebook to listen to the show. We're so glad that you joined us. We are going to get out. Hopefully, we will be back here next week. But until then, this is Dr. Lorenzo Neal. You guys be out and be be blessed.